Welcome to Account-Based Marketing. This podcast is designed as a collection of conversations with sales and marketing leaders, sharing thoughts and practical tips for becoming more customer-centric and accelerating revenue growth. Hosted by me, Alicia Linden, CEO at Momentum ITSMA, a global B2B growth consultancy and advisory firm. Welcome to this episode of Account-Based Marketing. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Hilary Carpio, Senior Director of Account-Based Marketing at Snowflake. Hilary, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Great to have you with us. Um, I know you're doing some fantastic work in partnering with your internal business development team um, and your sales team. So really keen to unpack how you're aligning with sales and, and some of the work you're doing around orchestration. But it'd be fantastic if you could kick us off with a bit about you and uh, your your career so far. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm currently at Snowflake, but I actually started my career out of graduate school at NetApp. I started there as a marketing communications manager for public sector, and my goal was really to connect the headquarter team to the local team out in Virginia and work on the different blogs, social media, et cetera, that the team was responsible for. I shifted fairly quickly into a internal communications role within the demand gen organization, where again, I was connecting folks between what was available to them on the partner marketing side, on the internal side, attending all of the meetings and distilling it down to what people should take action on. And then from there became an integrated marketing manager for cloud and it kind of continued down the spiral to where I was managing technologies at Fortinet, managing all campaigns at Fortinet, all demand gen on the digital side of Fortinet, and now I'm here at Snowflake and ABM. But when you look across all of those different roles, the thread between them is being a connector, connecting teams, connecting people, connecting ideas in order to help facilitate more efficient and effective marketing. Fantastic. And there's so much talk about connection in in buying cycles when you think about Snowflake's customers and prospects and you think about the marketing's role and, and sales role, it really is all about facilitating those customers through through their, their own buyer journey. How, how do you think that translates into the way that you think about ABM? Are there certain principles that really stand out? Have you embedded that idea of connection more strongly through your ABM program compared to others? Absolutely. The idea of account-based marketing is to get the right message to the right people at the right time. And that is connecting what they're interested in, what makes them successful in their jobs, what they value to what you have to offer, as opposed to a one-way push like traditional and more legacy marketing is getting their message out broadly across the universe and, you know, pushing it onto those prospects or people that they're interested in selling to. So the connection is two-way in any relationship. And that's my opinion of account-based marketing is it's a two-way relationship with the company and the prospect or the company and the customer. Got it. So it's a, it's a dance that, that you're having and, and, and both both parties are participating. And some interesting organizations that, that you've worked with, Hillary, um, from NetApp to Fortinet and, and now to Snowflake. Snowflake, um, I, I know, have been through a big, big IPO, one of the largest software IPOs in history. How's that experience been compared to your your past marketing career? How's that shaped your strategies and and building out your teams? Yeah, so I've I've always worked at larger companies. I've you know advised some of the startups, but I don't work there full time. So scale is always at the forefront of my mind. How do we do more with less? As is a common term here right now, but also just scaling our practices, our messaging, all of those things across the different different people. So. When I was brought into Snowflake, a lot of it was for the desire to scale. I came in pre-IPO and my job was to set things up in a way to orchestrate and build 
for future growth where we could take the success that my uh, that my predecessor had seen and built and done a really good job with and figure out how do we do that in a lot bigger scale in with more people, with more reps, with more SDRs, with more, 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 right? Uh, there's the boutiqueness of ABM that is really unique that makes it what it is and it can break very easily when you try to do it at a larger scale. Often when you look at scale and ABM, it, it's, it feels like somewhat of an oxymoron. Hilary, I'd just love to get your sense of, you know, Snowflake's business dynamics. If you've been through this big IPO, there's lots of pressure on share price. There's pressure on showing growth to the market, back to the investors compared to a business like NetApp or Fortinet, given the age of those businesses. How have you found the sales and marketing culture or, or dynamic in a high growth, high change business like Snowflake and, and some of the inflection points they've been through uh, versus a NetApp or, or Fortinet? Yeah, I think the in order to answer this question, I was very low on the totem pole, right? First job out of grad school at NetApp. And so I wasn't exposed to the conversations happening at the level of the finances and the the C-level conversation. So I imagine in any business, public or not, you are responsible to your shareholders, you're responsible to leadership, you're responsible for your revenue. So I don't know that the pressure changes. I think the thing that's unique about Snowflake is that we're operating at startup speed and enterprise scale. So we're still moving very quickly. We're very nimble. Our heads are down and we're just really focused on doing a really good job as a company and not as much about pleasing others. It's about doing our best every day when we show up and working together as a team to do that. Brilliant. I, lo- I love that concept of startup speed and enterprise scale. We we, ha- we had a great episode a few months ago with with Eric Martin from, from AWS and talking about this idea of failing fast, which sounds like it's transcending to, to your agile approach in, in the way that you're thinking about ABM. You've mentioned NetApp, Fortinet. What, what's been the, the hardest lesson of your, your career so far? What have, what have you taken away? Yeah, as someone who's eager to grow and to learn and to make a difference in organizations, I'm you know not much of a passenger. I like to to drive and create and build. Looking back, I realize you don't know what you don't know until you know, and that's one of my favorite sayings. Is that there's so much going on in a business, there's so much going on in a department at the different levels in the leadership, etc. That when you're eager to grow and you're eager to to make that impact, it can be hard to understand how much is going on that you don't even know you don't know. And as I learn more and more, as I grow in my own leadership journey and get exposed to different parts of the business, that's the biggest advice I have to my prior self is being aware that there's a lot out there that you just don't know and you will know, but it doesn't have to be right now. And you can still be very successful, make a huge impact on the team with uh, where you can contribute. But there's a humility that you need to have to understand that other people have skill sets and knowledges that you uh, don't know about. It sounds like you've got all, all of the ingredients to to be leading a fantastic ABM team, the natural connector, the, the drive and, and building. Tell me a little bit about Snowflake for, for those of our audiences that don't know who they are. What do you sell and who is your customer base? Yeah, Snowflake is the data clouds. We enable multiple workloads with your data from data science, marketing analytics, and uh, more along the way. Uh, We sell to IT, outside of IT, and really just to the largest enterprises in the world. So we can sell to one company with, you know, 90 subsidiaries and be selling different workloads and parts of our 
our data cloud to each of those different subsidiaries, lines of businesses, individuals within the organization, et cetera. And Hillary, just thinking about customer-based dynamics, do you have a set of global accounts, enterprise accounts? How are you thinking about your account base in your program? Yeah, Snowflake has a named account list for our enterprise and vertical sellers. So they each have a defined list of accounts that they're responsible for. We also have a corporate account executive organization that is the unnamed account. So they're going after those. We support the enterprise and verticals organization. So our starting point is a set of named accounts. And then we narrow in and support about 30% of that named account list within account-based marketing. Good space to be in. And I think, you know, great to see Snowflake almost create a category and, and grow over time. You've defined a little bit about ABM and how you're seeing it, you know, right person, right time, right message. How would you describe your ABM program at Snowflake? Yeah, so I like to describe it as ABM at scale, and that can mean two different things. ABM at scale can mean a one-to-many approach, which there's some very strong opinions out there in the ABM world of whether that becomes ABM or demand gen. So that ABM at scale, from that perspective, I refer to as uh, ABM on page load. So we might be targeting many people and it might appear as a one-to-many strategy from this setup, but we are working really, really granularly with data and technology to be able to serve a one-to-one experience when the person lands online or receives a gift or whatever the touch might be. There's a scale from that component that we're trying to involve a human where it's necessary and use technology where we can scale without it. The other side of scale is simply volume of how we run our program. So we have four tiers of ABM programs that we run within our team. We have 18 individuals on the team in North America, 26 globally. We serve over 230 SDRs and we serve over 400 sales reps. So when you look at the scale just by sheer size of the team, there's a level of infrastructure, process, organization, measurement that you have to have in place in order to do even a one-to-one program across that many people just for the sake of humans needing instruction and guidance and infrastructure. Yeah, lots of connecting going on. Hilary, how many accounts make up your program? Anywhere from 2,000 to 5,500, depending on what the goal is. And that's within that, they're broken down into one-to-one, highly strategic. There's a few one-to-few, et cetera. So it depends what our goal is that quarter, what our goal is for the year will adjust. I think that's the name of the game in ABM is we're all going to be more successful if we can focus on what we're trying to achieve for the business and adjusting our approach accordingly, as opposed to locking ourselves into a specific definition that we've set up. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's lots of teams do fall into the trap of naming something as a particular type or defining it as a particular type of program and then are wedded to that that approach. You're part of the demand gen organization at Snowflake, as I understand it. Has that shaped how you're thinking about your own account-based strategy? Is that informed this higher volume approach or or do you think it's um, something different just as you look at objectives of your program? Being part of the demand gen organization is a huge benefit to us because we have the players in place and the the right mindset going in to be an integrated marketing function. So to clarify, I am part of the demand gen function, but my, my boss, he's the VP of demand gen. He owns demand gen as a function, ABM, field marketing, marketing intelligence, marketing operations, and SDRs. So there's a broad, broad scope of what's included in that. The benefit of having all of those under one leader and all bought in on an account-based approach is that we become 
all one function of another, right? So I'm working directly with my demand gen counterpart to understand what campaign she's running, making sure that the content's being incorporated into our ABM plays, into our one-to-one pages, into our one-to-one campaigns. Also working directly with the head of field marketing to make sure we're tied in there, doing one-to-one events, supporting regional events, that sort of thing. So we're really just one big team operating together and each like filling a different you know portion of what our goal is together. I think that's really interesting point that, that you you guys are at. I mean, we see organizations when they're developing ABM actually, you know, going deep on a number of accounts, you know, the tens or, or up to a hundred is is relatively straightforward, but actually embedding account-based marketing at scale. And, and I think there's friction often where marketing set up by channel or is, is set up in a, a particular discipline, actually embedding that and infusing it, as you talked about, integrating it with the rest of marketing, that ends up being a friction point. And it sounds like one that uh, you're, you're successfully overcoming. Yes, our goal is all the same. Our goal is to drive value for the company and to support sales and as our marketing value lays out in our, our guidance, right, we're, our goal is to be insanely aligned with sales. So uh, that's what we're focused on as opposed to individual attribution and individual work that competes against each other. Obviously, we have KPIs. We know how we're each contributing, but it's ultimately all about supporting our sales team. And w- what are those KPIs as, as you look across your work, the global ABM work, and then just thinking about some of those other teams that you've touched on? like demand gen field marketing are you sharing a common set of kpis yeah i mean our goal is pipeline so together how are we driving pipeline for the sales organization we're going at it at different approaches that are complementary to each other but at the end of the day we're all contributing to that pipeline number and as you think about accounts is is there orchestration and and connectedness between your program and some of the field marketing team like how does that interlock work are you drawing on the field team for events in market that you're then orchestrating and connecting with the accounts that you're also engaging or do you tend to hand off accounts at any any point it'd be good to unpack that a bit yeah so we don't hand off accounts but we work in tandem so we call it a three-legged three-legged stool to support sales with SDRs, ABM, and field marketing. So we'll look at which accounts, looking at the data, which accounts should we be working on across all three of us? Are there accounts that should be just with one team versus all of us together? And from a field marketing perspective, just for an example, we'll talk about should these accounts be included in a regional event? Should they get a one-to-one event? Should they be uh, sitting on the sideline until there's some sort of intent data that shows that we should focus on them? And then same thing with the SDR organization. So when we think about event promotion, for example, there might be a list of, say, 100 accounts that are being invited to an event, but 10 of those accounts are on an account-based marketing list that have been prioritized with sales and cross-functional teams. Those 10 accounts might get specific invitations, specific promotions on LinkedIn, et cetera, to bring them in the door to make sure that their attendance is prioritized at those events. So we're stepping in for those top accounts to give them a little extra love and make sure that we're getting the engagement that will support sales. And is most of your focus on opening up new engagement, new conversations, uh, new opportunities in these accounts, or are you also working on things like deal acceleration or disrupting and creating new opportunities? How are you thinking about demand? Yeah, we're a full funnel ABM organization. So we do focus on new opportunity creation and have a really strong process and machine that we've built to ensure that we're the most effective and efficient in that effort. But we also support deal acceleration post-opportunity, and then we're also helping expand post-sale. And that can be 
you know, starting up a new sales process within a new line of business or a new subsidiary, or it could be increasing consumption within an existing contract. So our goal, whatever sales needs, will step in and we have program frameworks in order to address that and then the flexibility to innovate on top of those to meet the needs of the unique account. Um, must be quite a lot to balance a- across accounts. And it'd be yeah. great to talk a little bit about, you know, lo- lots of accounts, you know, large programming in North America, where um, I think, think I heard uh, you talk about running over 2000 campaigns into your North America accounts. And you- you've touched on some of the account numbers today and SDR numbers. H- how do you stay on a- across that number of accounts across the full funnel? You know, what- what's what's your secret to, to really going a mile deep and, and still staying? broad across the base? Uh, A lot of it has to do with our team. So we have a leader for enterprise, a leader for verticals, and a leader for emerging markets who are fully bought into the vision and, and what we're doing here at Snowflake. And we've also been very careful to hire innovators within the team that I'll report to them that are helping drive the business forward. But at the root of it, it's understanding what is the value we're trying to drive, what are plays that help us get there, and then how do we make those repeatable and scalable so that they can be taken and used as a framework, but then also have the flexibility to try a new tactic, to try uh, measuring in a different way, to try customizing in a different way, and then being very, very data-driven to understand what of those things that we tried, what worked and what didn't, and then incorporating those into best practices across the team to then replicate again. So we try to have a really healthy balance between the infrastructure and framework and then flexibility to innovate. And that's how we continue to grow and continue to scale is to make sure there's a set of known and a set of unknown. Yeah. And how has um, uh, just that infusion of um, an account mindset and looking at these account segments and the buyer journeys, how has that affected uh, marketing at, at Snowflake? I don't don't know whether when you joined, was there already an ABM program or um, if you've seen a bit of a culture change or, or a change in approach as um, these teams have become more connected um, and, and some of the individuals that you're describing now, um, what that shift has looked like. Yeah, so account-based marketing existed at Snowflake. When I joined, I took it over from another individual and my predecessor had done a great job building a best-in-class ABM organization that really didn't exist in the market. I think that's where there's a lot of pressure to say, how can you do more? How can you build it out? further? How can you scale it to more people? How can you incorporate different tiers and different programs within it? So I'm fortunate to have joined a company I wouldn't have joined if this weren't the case, where leadership was bought in on an account-based approach. They're believers in the methodology and really had the support in place for me to go figure it out and explore and create and innovate and build my own thing to be able to serve the business. Interesting. So building very much on innovation that's 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 gone before you. Um, talk me through how you're prioritizing accounts. You know, what, what data have you got available? Um, how are you thinking about taking these 2000 to, to 5500 accounts and identifying which ones to go deeper into uh, versus which ones to, to deprioritize? We have three different approaches we take and combine to go after account prioritization. The first, we have an account propensity score that our sales operations team and intelligence team have put together. And that's really an understanding of fit, which accounts are best suited to buy from Snowflake, but doesn't necessarily talk about timing. So we also have a marketing qualified account score. And this is where we are really, really proud of our alignment and work with sales operations where there's the fit score from them. We have a marketing account score that we've worked with them to develop. And that is mostly focused on timing and engagement. So of the different touches that an account could have with marketing, which ones 
have the most weight, make the most impact. It's a machine learning model that our team has built. And that helps us understand when the account is worth going after from an outbound perspective. We also focus on accounts that sales nominate. So some say AEs only have three to five accounts or even fewer. So it doesn't matter if it's the right time. We still need to help them go after them. We still need to help them find the right opening, the right door, the right hallway to walk down. So that's another way that we prioritize accounts is just based off of what they need. What, what about personas? Um, you know, part of account-based marketing is about targeting people, not not personas. How are you thinking about uh, stakeholders in in accounts, particularly that volume? If you know we're looking at ten or fifteen individuals across fifty five hundred accounts, that that starts to add up quite quickly. Yeah, personas are huge, right? We need to know who we're talking to, what matters to them, what's going to get them promoted, what's going to get them fired, what's going to where they're going to go next in their career, all of those things. So we need to know who the buying committee is and really what they care about at a person level. So we have that all mapped out into a matrix to understand if it's this workload, here's the personas. If it's that workload, here's the personas. And then we take that a step further in our highly customized one-to-one campaigns where we apply that to a specific individual within an account. But we can build off of the framework that was at the persona level and then curate and customize based off of the individual with a specific account. So like the rest of our program, we try to have a nice foundation and framework and then the ability to narrow in and get really personalized Got it. I think that's really good advice. So using the the personas as a, a foundational element to almost narrow in on your market, but then using the insight on the individuals to go that much that much deeper. I was really intrigued, Hilary, to hear about your your magic matrix. Do you want to talk a little bit about what it is and and why it's important? Yeah, my magic matrix is a concept that my prior leader at a previous company introduced just to simplify things, which is really just a table. And I use a PowerPoint slide, nothing fancy. You list out who are your personas that you're targeting and then what is the message you're trying to tell them, right? So like, what is the longer form? Here's the value they will will get. And then what is the short form copy that would go on an advertisement to them? And it's really simple, but I call it the magic matrix because it really transforms the way cross-functional teams look at going to market together because it simplifies these massive long form pieces of content and sales enablement platforms, right? That are talking about personas and they're three pages long and what they care about. It's just like a simple way to say, are we on the same page? Here's what we're going to talk about. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's the images that were related to this different persona, et cetera. And so it's just, it's a way to simplify. And I think that's the name of the game when you're trying to scale a team is you need to make it easy to understand and simple to execute. Yeah. And the, this magic matrix, uh, just as a way of visualizing the slide in our head, what, what are in the four boxes? It's more of a table than a, a four boxes. But if you think of your columns being the different executions of messaging and your rows being the persona, you would have like row one. Uh, if it was a data scientist, for example, for us, then why should a data scientist care about whatever it is you're talking about? And this could exist at the company level. It could exist at the workload level. It could exist at solution, like whatever it might be. Why should they care? The next column over would be what is the short form copy that's the header that would go on an ad talking about why they should care. The next column over would be the payoff copy underneath to 
pay off the headline of why they should care. And then you can build it as far as you want to go and add a column for keywords that they might be searching for for your SEO efforts. You can add a column about intent so you can keep an eye on which intent keywords should you be tracking. I mean, you can go on and on and on in terms of how you want to organize it. I mean, I, I think the thing that really caught my attention is, is I heard about this magic matrix is when you're somebody like Snowflake, an organization like Snowflake, what you're selling is quite complex whilst you've got use cases. There are lots of layers to your proposition. It can mean different things to different people. And then if you're taking this to accounts who are complex themselves, who are like countries in their own right, it's very easy to to go down a bit of a rabbit warren of lots of words um, without much meaning. Uh, and I really like the idea of using that magic matrix to synthesize and be really sharp about, well, what is the value you're really going to deliver for this account versus just ending up with a as, as you've said, you know, three or four slides of you know, lots of content that doesn't really say much. Yeah, it's amazing what you think you know that you don't actually know when you go to do an exercise like this. You're like, well, I know what I know what they care about, and then you go to write it out, and you're sitting there, fingers not moving on the keyboard. I'm like, wait a second, <laughs> you know, when you actually go to articulate it, and so it's a it's a good exercise to force us to really know what we're doing and what we're saying. And then from a scale perspective, we need to be able to approve things. Right, we can't do one-off messaging all over the place and it not be approved from a brand perspective. It becomes a liability. So this helps us ensure that all of the content that goes into these matrix gets approved by our content marketing team. And we know that we're doing the right thing and representing our brand well. Let's just talk a little bit about personalization. You know, I think we we always preach that it's got to be relevance over creepy personalization and you know, put, putting on a company name or a, a logo. It's much more about their context and the, the, those individuals as well. What what effect, and I know swag is often used and, and does, does feature in, in lots of programs. I'd love to hear how you're thinking about swag, you know, per- personalized goods that you're sending out gifts versus building business relevance. Yeah. I mean, this would be an entire podcast in itself. I think that <laughs> Uh, my kind of rule of thumb is if you haven't met them and you wouldn't say it on a first date, don't do it. So if you are going on a first date and this isn't like my husband did all kinds of research before our date and so he knew all kinds of stuff about my life and different accomplishments, et cetera. But when we sat down on our first date, he didn't sit there and go, hey, I know you were a gymnast and a pole vaulter and you went to this school. And like, right, you don't say those things, but you know when you can have a relevant conversation. But yet we think we should say those things when we reach out in an email to a stranger that we know all of these things about them. So it's not about that. It's about understanding what is a problem they're trying to solve and how can you solve it and letting them draw the connection that those two are the same thing without telling them that you know. So that's a part of it. And then from a swag perspective, I think it's fine to be personalized if you've had that personal touch. You've had a conversation and they mentioned what their favorite pizza restaurant was and you're going to send them a gift card to that restaurant. Great. Uh, Maybe a little more creepy if you send that gift card because you scrolled down to three years ago on their Facebook page and saw a picture of their (laughs) best friend at the pizza restaurant, right? So it's like, don't be weird. (laughs) Like, Don't be weird and you're fine. I've read somewhere, I don't know who put it out there, but there's a difference between a swag and gifting. Swag is to promote your brand and has a bunch of logos on it. Gifting is something that somebody can use or relates to them personally. And so I think we have to keep that in mind also. What is your goal and what are you trying to accomplish if it's brand promotion or if it's actually making that humanized touch? Neither is wrong. You just need to know that that when you send somebody a 
hat, t-shirt, mug, and poster of your brand, they may not appreciate it as much as you. Yeah, I've, I've got, um, yeah, the, the perfect uh, image in my head of just a t-shirt with don't be weird on it as, as you're <laughs> yeah, maybe line, I should so. that. <laughs> <laughs> there's clearly a, a lot of orchestration and we talked about connectedness earlier on in the episode that you're thinking about in your outreach your touch activity um what, what does that mean for you and your team I mean are you constantly looking across your your martech stack your dashboards your intent scores um and and activating different activity or is it more structured uh, and and foundational a little bit of both really our goal is to say, what are the things that are happening over and over and over again? And can we orchestrate those? And what are the things that humans really add value to? Like the conversations with sales, understanding what they're talking to the account about, understanding the nuances of the account, understanding what content might resonate. That all requires a human. And we love the people on our team and want to make sure that they have the support that they need to have those conversations and have them well. And so we're constantly looking for what else is happening in an ABMers world because there is a lot of repetition that maybe doesn't have to be done by them, whether that be outsourced or automated through technology. And so we're just constantly looking at how do we create the best work environment for the individuals doing this job? And how do we be really smart about as we look at scaling headcount, what needs to be scaled from a headcount perspective and what can they do better without scaling headcount by just taking some stuff off their plate. So you're looking for patterns and repeatability and you've got quite a rich um, tech stack, Hillary. Um, How has that helped you find those patterns and and create those scalable moments? Yeah, so our tech stack is vast, but it's also very intentional. So we, the reason it's broader is we bring on technologies to do a very specific thing as opposed to doing an all-in-one platform approach. And so we know when we buy a piece of technology, what problem is going to solve and how it's going to solve it and how we'll measure the success of that. And so it allows us to build these components and pieces to build this broader machine and this broader orchestration in a way that's very purposeful, as opposed to I'm seeing more and more folks buying technology to solve a problem, but then they don't actually know how to use it. They don't know what the process they're going to put in place to activate it. And it becomes really difficult because technologies are as good as the people using them, right? So we just have to be very clear as to why we're bringing in what we're bringing in and how it's going to benefit the broader organization. So we just try to be really nimble. And if something's no longer a fit, then we remove it from our tech stack and we find the best thing either to replace it or if we don't need that component, we won't replace it. Would you say there's a a part of your tech stack that's really making a a big impact to to the success of your program now you know, without naming brands is are there capabilities that you're seeing really help add value yeah i think intent is one of the most important parts of our tech stack because it's a lot of the data that powers what the narrative is we talk to accounts about and then also the timing of which we talk to those accounts and then we also have personalization tools that allow us to create that abm experience on page load as i like to call it so that my team is no longer always creating one-to-one pages where they're dragging and dropping and building everything one by one. And I think that that's fine, right? As long as we're using that personalization technology in a well-thought-out, good way, then it's beneficial to the team. So be very careful because if you have bad data powering that personalization, then it's just bad experience has now been replicated across 300 accounts. You just have to be very careful with it. Yeah. I mean, that that puts the don't be weird analogy to, in a different place. But yeah, re- relying on clean clean data and being sensible about how you're using personalization. Do, do you think um, your technology stack, has it held you back in any ways? You know, are there parts of it that you're thinking, 
you know, need to really address that. I mean, data is an obvious place where you know, lots of organizations end up building the the shiny Ferrari. And actually, when you look at the account object um, and you look at the, the contact data, it, they're not able to um, necessarily put, put that shiny Ferrari to full use, um, if, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I think that's everybody to some degree has things they're working through. And the way I see it is always going to be evolving because while uh, technology evolves and your company evolves and something else devolves. And so it's constantly looking at what is best for your business for that current time and, you know, having the flexibility to make those changes within reason. We have the benefit that we are snowflake and we are focused on data and have a lot of data capabilities and data intelligence, marketing intelligence folks to help us out. So we have the ability to centralize our data, activate it, and really learn from it and use it in a powerful way. And I think that's really helpful to the business as a whole and something that you know a lot of people don't have. And that's the value proposition of what we do in helping our customers and our prospects realize a vision of how they can have good, powerful data and use it to transform their businesses. Yeah, I thought that was a perfect segue into yes. <laughs> uh, Snowflake's proposition. We'd love to uh, just hear, hear from you, Hillary, before we uh, wrap up this episode. You know, what, what are you most proud of? You know, you've built a, an enhanced, uh, a fantastic program at Snowflake and, you know, clearly a growing business and continuing to expand. We'd love to hear what you're most proud of so far. Yeah, I'm actually most proud of my team. I feel so blessed and so proud of the fact that I have 18 individuals on this team that are passionate about what they do. They're uplifting. They they help make each other the best. They show up every day with a smile on their face and just live to innovate, live to make Snowflake a better company. And, you know, showing up at work isn't always pleasant for everybody. And I'm, I'm thrilled that we've created a culture and a team where we can show up and be our best selves and be supported by those around us. And ABM is what we do. But at the end of the day, we're all humans trying to live our best lives and do our best. Fantastic. I, I do think there's something about ABM teams because you're working with accounts, you're working with customers, you're working in changing markets that you have to be quite restless in, in nature and you have to keep innovating and, and, and improving because things are always changing with your accounts and, and in the markets that they're operating in. So it sounds like you very much bottle that spirit. Just to bring us to to a close, Hillary, I'd love to hear, you know, fast forward to this time next year. What's your ambition over the next 12 months? Yeah, it's twofold. One is on the leadership side. My goal by the end of 2023 is to have evolved as a leader in multiple different ways and continue to be able to be the best coach I can be to the team that I'm responsible for. And then the second part of that is really just being more excellent in everything we do. So that's our focus going into the next year is we've done a great job at scaling. We've done a great job at connecting teams, building bridges, and we do execute well as well. But we want to raise the level of excellence in how we communicate, how we operate, how we orchestrate, and just see can we push ourselves at 1% every day to be even more efficient, even more effective, even more poised, even more well-spoken in the way that we work with sales, those sorts of things. We're going to raise the bar within our uh, internal processes and, and plans. Fantastic. Well, I look forward to watching your journey over the next 12 months as you develop further as a, as a leader and, and no doubt continue to raise the bar with your ABM program. Hilary, thanks so much for joining us. I've really enjoyed the conversation, uh, hearing about your your mindset and, and how you're approaching uh, your accounts and the program that you're developing at, at Snowflake. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by Momentum ITSMA, 
a leading B2B growth consultancy and pioneers of account-based marketing. Learn more at MomentumITSMA.com.